Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tottenham knocked out by Colchester. What on earth is going on at Spurs? That headline today is Gagenpot. David Wiener with you once again, joined by Richard Bayless. And also we welcome back Guardian cartoonist David Squires. We go into his mind and how he approaches cartoons. And we also discuss the managers under pressure in the Premier League, Barcelona, what's doing there, and so much more. Can't wait for this one. Let's get stuck into it. Rich, good to see you again. Hello, Dave. And welcome back, David Squires. Good to see you at uh, Optus HQ, back back on the podcast beat. Welcome back. Back from the dead. <laughs> Mate, you've had me training with the youth team in isolation for the last six months. Um, so I'm glad I'm back in, in the fold. Any talent in the youth team other than yourself? Absolutely. It's terrible down there. Mm. Shocking. <laughs> Absolutely shocking. Well, Dave told me in reception when he came to pick me up, I wasn't allowed to look at him directly in the eye anymore. So um, he screamed at me, actually. It's quite terrifying. That's his ego, though. No one's allowed to do that. No, that's because you weren't doing your laps of reception like I'd ordered you before you came in to get your you coffee. Well, speaking of shocking, gents, uh, we'll kick off today's podcast with the latest happenings at Tottenham Hotspur, where they're near all draw with Colchester, 10th in League 2 in the Carabao Cup. Now, the Carabao Cup might not mean much to many people, but when you've just dropped a two-goal lead to Olympiacos midweek and then you've dropped a lead to Leicester and there's all sorts of rumblings about what is going on, is everything right at Tottenham? You're bundled out of the League Cup. I'm going to call it that. Rich, if you were a Tottenham fan, would you be worried? Oh, not at all. I mean, it's only a team mid-table in League Two. Uh, Colchester are probably more likely to win the Premier League uh, than Tottenham at this point, I would reckon. <laughs> and if there's any sign of just how flashy and talented Colchester can be is the fact that one of their players actually tried a Penenka in the penalty shootout and failed, and yet they still won. I thought it was fantastic. But Tottenham, I don't really understand Tottenham at the moment because... So many people say, what, what's happening with Spurs? What's going on with Pochettino? They were in a Champions League final a couple of months ago. They've got all these great players. They've got this amazing stadium. And I also, Dave, take with a grain of salt when fans of Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea, Manchester United, whoever, complain about how bad things are. Things are horrible. Things are horrible. Well, if you're a Swindon fan or a Leeds fan, I think you can put that probably into perspective. Tottenham are going okay. They just can't get the results at the moment. Yeah, I mean, to put it into perspective, as you say, Colchester... They're actually a good team. They've beaten Swindon twice, 3-0, <laughs> this season already. And we're only in, what, the middle of September. And that's the measure of a good team? In Absolutely, <laughs> it is. Um, and, you know, Tottenham seem to be taking this game fairly seriously as well. They had a couple of, you know, um, big names you'd expect to see in their, their first team squad were were there today. And, you know, both of them missed penalties in the shootout. So Yeah, Moura, well. Son and Eriksson all came off the bench and didn't yeah. change a thing. Um, but it's a, you know, it's, as we've established, it's a tricky ground to go to. Um, it's not quite as intimidating as uh, Colchester's old ground, Layer Road, which um, 
I, I went there a few times and the away end had 10 steps and the uh, and the toilet was like it was smaller than one you'd see in um, a local sort of uh, restaurant so um yeah anyway this is why you put me in the reserves wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> when you look at a result like that Dave or when you look at you know what's happening with Tottenham at the moment. You're the man to answer what's going on with Tottenham. I noticed you gave Pochettino some love, and obviously the VAR from the weekend in your latest cartoon. What stands out for you when you look at a result like this in the League Cup where they lose? I suppose. I mean, the League Cup is it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because teams it's sort of under the radar to to a large extent, and it's outside of the cycle of my weekly cartoon deadline. So I don't often get to talk about the, the Carabao Cup. Um, but for me, it's a competition that I've got quite a lot of affection for. And not only because it's the only thing Swindon have ever won, um, because it throws up results like this. And it's a, a chance for clubs like Colchester to have their, their moment in the spotlight. And last season, Burton Albion got all the way to the semi-finals, And they went pretty well against, Man- against Manchester City for like three or four minutes. And, uh, and, then, you know, <laughs> and that was in the tunnel. <laughs> tidal wave of goals rained down upon them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at Spurs and obviously for, for someone who's employed to write cartoons that take the mickey out of football, when a, when a club is going through, uh, you know, a, a blip of the in form of the kind that, that Spurs are having at the moment, um, then that's that's good for me. I'm like some horrible vulture that pecks on the, at the corpses of clubs <laughs> that are dying, but I think Spurs will probably be all right. I thought your Harry Kane um, panel in particular this week about trying to keep his feet. I won't give away the punchline. Probably can't do it justice anyway in terms of uh, words, but I encourage anyone to go and have a look. I thought you nailed it. Thanks very much. Oh, that was a beautiful... I mean, the goal he scored against Leicester was just fantastic. Um, obviously, the, the end result wasn't so great for them, but just to have that that innate sense of, of balance um, and to have the the wherewithal to, to realise where the ball is, it's somewhere behind you and to stick a leg out and to hook it over the goalkeeper perfectly is sensational. So Dave, where does your mind go when you're here and you're looking for you're looking for a theme or a narrative to throw through your cartoon? And Pochettino says after losing to a team that's 10th in League Two and he says, when you have an unsettled squad, you always need time to recover the time you lose. And he went on to say, uh, we need to have a squad where there's not all different agendas and we need time again to build that togetherness. Do you have your radar going off? There's got to be. When we say, okay, Spurs aren't in crisis, there's clubs that are worse off. The thing I wonder is, is Pochettino trying to find that exit stage left? He's not going to get sacked, but these comments and the stuff that he continually says in the press, it's starting now rub off. Something strange is going on there, I think. Um, and whether this is a hangover from, from last season, which sounds like a silly thing to say because they got to the Champions League final, but their form in the you know the last couple of months of the, of last season went off the cliff um and you know he'd been talking about uh, you know, maybe the time is to go if if we win this um obviously they didn't and he's stuck around um they spent a bit of money in the summer which he think would um sort of pacify him a little bit and if he did have sort of itchy feet to to look elsewhere then then maybe that that's kept him at the club but in terms of when uh, when people say things and what I notice for the for the cartoons, yeah, absolutely. If someone is applying some sort of weird football logic or you know the arguments that you, you sometimes read and think, okay, what what's he going on about here? Then yeah, I'll, I'll try and use that. But it also, as I'm um, demonstrating perfectly here, when you've got a, 
microphone in front of your face, you can sometimes say ridiculous things <laughs> that make no sense. Would you rather... Going back to one of our favourite segments, would you rather... We're going to add a little bit of a tweak to it. Would you rather not be right now? Who would you rather not be? Because Mauricio Pochettino, he seems to rather not be Mauricio Pochettino right now at Tottenham Hotspur. But in reality, as you said earlier, Rich, they're not going disastrously and they're still in Europe and they're still the reigning Champions League finalist. Let's put him in the group with some of the managers under pressure right now to put this into context. You've got Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, you've got Unai Emery, You've got Marco Silva. You've now got after two games, Kike Sanchez-Flores. Who would you rather not be? I think the obvious one would be Solskjaer, but I'd rather not be Kike Sanchez-Flores because, one, he already knows that his lifespan at Watford is limited because he suffered it before, and since then they've had 437 managers. But you've also just lost 8-0, and regardless of what people say about how good City are, particularly at home, they win 4 or 5-0 every game, it seems – and it's 14-0 on aggregate against Watford over two matches, you, you can't do that. You can't go there and lose. And it actually should have been more. Yeah. I feel like as a neutral, when things are going badly for someone, I kind of like to see it go really badly, and I kind of wanted them to hit 10. I just had that feeling after 60 minutes, go on and do it. That was 7-0 up. But I'd rather not be Kike because he had a pretty good reputation with the Hornets fans and one of the few managers to leave there with his head held high a little bit from his recent tenure. But... He can only make it worse, and he already has. And this is meant to be the bounce-back window. He's, he's, his owners have thrown him under the bus by handing him Manchester City, uh, 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 an angry Manchester City within the first two games. It's interesting. I think that they've got um, Wolves at the weekend, which is uh, you know another club who've had a bad start to the season. Maybe I should have thrown Nuno in that list, actually. Well, I think you know he's got the, the good the grace period from from his achievements last season. They're still in the um, the Europa League, obviously, and you know for good or bad. Um, but you do wonder with with Wolves if they get you know to say another month down the line, they still haven't won a game. Then, regardless of what they're doing in Europe, um, then that that pressure will will come onto them. And um, as you say, with um, Kike Sanchez Flores, it's tough for him going in there. That I mean, they're already bottom. That eight nil defeat was appalling and yeah you're watching it after half an hour and you're thinking yeah they might get 10 12 15 here like as a as a Swindon fan as we've established I like we have the unwanted record of being the only club who's letting 100 goals during a Premier League season and I you know 15 minutes into that game on Saturday I thought they might get 100 here and uh, (laughs) they keep going we can lose that record it's funny though because I think we said on the first Gagan pod this year, I tipped that Watford would go down and Bridgie looked at me completely quizzically. I didn't really have any substance behind the prediction, but I think they will now. Because you look at the last few years, and I know we're only six games in, but they always start well, Watford, yeah. regardless of who the manager is. They've got a good squad on paper. Now they've started really poorly. They always struggle for consistency. So best case, you know, they pick up the form. Even though there are probably 8, 10 or 12 clubs that you consider to be pretty poor, I think Watford have put themselves in a situation that'll be really hard to get out of. Yeah, and it's really hard to turn it around right now. And you can imagine in the dressing room, Flores now trying to uh, actually convince them that he's the man to turn around after that initial performance. But another man who needs to to turn it around, we look at that list and, and, and the whole world of football is talking about Manchester United right now and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer after what was really a disastrous loss to West Ham, that 2-0 defeat. Um, like Pochettino, 
he's engineering his own exit, so to speak, or he's the one that sort of, you know, I don't think he's going to get sacked at Spurs. But talk about early season predictions. Schwartzer, Mark Schwartzer said on our season preview that Solskjaer wouldn't last to Christmas. The odds of that are, are shortening by the day, surely. What was actually said in the stands between Phil Jones and Ed Woodward? Has that <laughs> been established? I speculated in my cartoon this week that he was singing There's Only One Chris Smalling in a kind of <laughs> pining for his old friend. Um, but yeah, that was an amazing moment. And I mean, with, with Manchester United, with Solskjaer, obviously the problems at, at United go far deeper than who's picking the team and you know who's coaching them. At a structural level, they're completely shot. And um, even to the fact, if you look back to when he was appointed, so... Um, just before Christmas, Jose goes, they bring bring in Ole and they get a bit of a bounce. It's temporary manager who, who can, who's a link back to the glory days and who, who plays on that quite a lot. And then they get that amazing result against PSG and you think, well, maybe, maybe you know, despite the fact he's only managed Cardiff and, and Mould in Norway, perhaps he's the guy to turn it around. And so they give him this, this contract, a permanent contract, absolutely crazy decision to give him a permanent contract when they already had him to the end of the season and obviously everything that's followed since he signed that contract has been disastrous. Maybe they could have had Pochettino if they hadn't actually signed that permanent contract just quietly. It's interesting looking at Manchester United how everything is a hark back to the glory days. I mean everybody brings it up every 30 seconds when it comes to United but even the the ghost or the stench of Sir Alex Ferguson, I don't know if he smells, he might, uh, still lingers around the club. You still see him in the stands. Obviously, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is one of his favourites. You suspect that Ferguson is probably giving some tactical tips along the way or he's trying to influence somehow or is influencing. But if you were to cast your mind back to that glory period, do we now think that football has not moved on a long way since then? I mean, you look at the managers that have come in and changed English football and changed world football as well. Guardiola, Klopp, Pochettino, um, Frank De Boer, whoever else you've got. It's probably a little bit silly for Manchester United to be trying to recreate that because that era is now very much outdated. The world has moved on a lot in English football. There's a couple of things. It's a really good point. There's a couple of things that spring to mind that I'm wondering about and want to dig a little bit deeper uh, out of Manchester United. First thing is we're going to smash them in preseason. They weren't fit enough under, under Jose and they're breaking down with muscle injuries one by one. Six key players out at the moment. The second thing is we want to play high octane football. We want to be on the front foot. We want to play with speed and counter attack. But you've got to have more nuance than that. You've got to be able to control a game and they can do neither of those things. They're all hark back to the previous day. And, uh, we had a, there's a column on the Optusport app by Sam Pilger, who is Manchester-based. He, he knows the club well. He's written about books about the club. And he's talking about how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wanted to repeat Sir Alex Ferguson's uh, 1995 gamble with gutting the experience and bringing in the new brigade. He said, that's great. There's one problem. There's no spine to this team to bring them alongside with now. So he's followed Fergie's plan, but he's only half cooked it. And I think that's definitely the problem they're finding themselves in at the moment. One of the other things that, I mean, Rich just touched on with um, Ferguson in the start. I think you said that he stinks. Oh, that's, that's a no, he said, way to he's say, got, but, got, uh, a, got a stench, but we all do. Red wine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah a musk. And um, of course, when he became Manchester United manager, they had a long period where they had no success uh, in the league, at least. And they had some Matt Busby sat in the stands and sort of interference and, and a succession of managers crumbled under the weight of of that that figure in the stands, a great person who had great success at the club. And now they're just repeating the, the same mistakes 
all over again. It, I mean, it, I can't blame it all on Ferguson watching a football match in the stands, mm. but... But also, you know, you have to... It's not Ferguson's fault that if he's in the stadium, which, fair enough, I mean, he loves the club, he's going to go and watch TV directors. All right, mm. where's Ferguson in the crowd? I, I, we've all experienced that in TV. All right, let's get a shot of this person. And if anything goes wrong, tactically, or they ship in a goal or whatever it is, it's going to show him in the crowd. So it's propagated by the coverage. Mm. It's only going to, to dig the hole deeper. But then again, with Solskjaer, you do know that Ferguson is his mm. mentor, if you like. So it goes a little bit deeper than that. But look, they just have to go off and get someone totally different, don't they? Until they that, That's never going to leave Solskjaer. Even if he turns around and gets 10 victories in a row, they'll probably credit Ferguson for it. Will it ever be Solskjaer's team? Not so sure. Well, you mentioned that PSG game, Dave. That was the last time they won away from home. They haven't had a clean sheet away from home since February against... Fulham, so that, that tells you all you need to know there. And the stat that really was galling for me through the week, when you look at context, we go Manchester City goals last week, eight. Manchester United goals this season, eight. What a, what, what a time to be a Manchester United fan. Speaking of managers under pressure before we move on, I tell you what these guys might want to engineer. Just a completely different fun fact I heard this morning. Leonardo Jardim at Monaco. So he's on the brink of getting sacked less than a year after going back there. Do you know last year he got an $8 million payout? from Monaco and if he gets sacked this year he gets a $10 million payout I think these guys have to try and get one of those contracts the guys, the guys are genius that is unbelievable so his agent. now we mentioned in that list as well Unai Emery Marco Silva you can read about Marco Silva on the Optusport app as well we've taken a bit of a deep dive into what is going on at Everton and the hundreds of millions of dollars they've spent to essentially buy for eighth um, and Unai Emery as well well there's plenty going on there Daniel Story wrote a great column for us last week about uh, the well what are Arsenal and I don't think after the weekend despite them going three to up against Villa that we truly know so some extra reading for you there Rightio then give us an answer let's cheer things up a little bit Rich because I know that you're very keen for the next stop point so we get a one-word answer from you guys with a bit of an explanation and we're going to kick off I can't give you one word to the next one I'm too excited Right, I'm looking at the stop clock here. Leads and fair play in the same sentence is... Ridiculous. <laughs> oh, satisfying in the extreme because it's just trolled everybody <laughs> and all those high and mighty commentators and former players and whoever else, uh, you know, England being the moral high ground of the world, not only in football but politics as well. Within this studio. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely right. <laughs> Everything defers uh, to the English because they know how to act at all times. I just think it's it's genuinely hilarious. I was actually in the stadium the day where Bielsa gave the goal back to Aston Villa. It was really confusing. Oh, yeah. yeah, and it was hard to celebrate. It was hard to celebrate Mateus Click's goal because you sort of had that feeling, oh, what happened there? Villa stopped playing. But the harsh reality is when you look back at the incident, it wasn't a head injury. The player was completely fine. And it was Biel- That's it says a lot about Bielsa that he went, oh, no, 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 um, give that goal back because it could be seen as an injustice. The reason he did that was because of what he learnt from Spygate. Remember when he came out and did his whole presentation and said, well, this is the lengths we go to to get, get information. And in other countries, we're actually allowed to watch open training sessions where there's no wall up and people can just walk by on the road and watch players training. That's actually not against the law anywhere else uh, in the world. So... The fact that he actually lost, um, sorry, he gained a lot of experience from that and then acted on it in a game where, remember, if Leeds won, they were still pushing for automatic promotion. So in giving up the three points, they gave away the opportunity to be promoted. It wouldn't have happened anyway. They'd absolutely shut the bed by that point. But, you know, there's a bit of context to it as well. But put that, put all that aside, 
what a pesky facts when we're talking about these things. It's just hilarious, and it just shows for me as an unashamed Leeds fan that we still matter. Hey, what was the reaction around you like when um, when Leeds allowed Aston Villa to, to go and score? Well, apart um, from one of your players who wasn't on yeah, side with it, <laughs> Pontus Janssen, who's yeah. no longer at the club, and that had a big part to play in it. Oh. because uh, he was probably our best defender. He was our best defender, arguably our best player, but Bielsa saw that as, you know, mm. um, insurrection, said, nope, you're out of the club. So it shows the the morals he holds it in. But to answer your question, I happen to be sitting in the Legends Lounge with Michael Bridges sipping on champagne at the time, which is not the traditional uh, Ellen Road experience, but those around us were utter confusion. I mean, mm. personally, my... My reaction was good. I thought that's that's really good. We're going into the playoffs, and if you didn't do it, as you know, the weight of the world comes down on Leeds for absolutely everything. People love to hate Leeds, and I just thought we yeah, I really do <laughs> yeah, uh, and sometimes I do as well. But I thought it was good to not bring that karma on you. Yeah. Um, you know, because even if they didn't give the goal back, Leeds would have copped it big time yeah. going into the. And now they are indirectly; they're still yeah. copying it for it. So bring it on. Brilliant. At the same award ceremony, Dave, Marcelo was included in the best 11. So I want to know Marcelo's inclusion in the best 11 means or is. Oh. Um, can't think of a one word answer <laughs> to that, but uh, I mean, it's, it's daft, isn't it? I suppose. All I can think is that, I don't know, I suppose that people who don't follow football that much just look at the Real Madrid team and think, oh yeah, you know, he plays for Real Madrid, he must be good. But they were dreadful last season and he didn't exactly cover himself in glory. There was a video of him doing the rounds a couple of weeks ago where he's playing head tennis yeah. with some children in a, um, you know, the, the, the heading challenge thing where you head it to each other and then you nod it into the bin at the end. And he was doing that with his kid and his football team. and So maybe... The people who vote saw that. <laughs> but uh, what I liked about that video was the idea that then the camera would pull back to the parents of the other kids or the dads of the other kids who were like, oh, fucking, yeah, great. Nice one, mate. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're good at other things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can, pro- I can project manage. Can you project manage, Marcelo? No, mate. He definitely cannot. And it looks like he had a good off-season too because apparently his fitness was one of the key uh, – insights into whether Zidane's preseason sort of let them down. But it's a bit of a popularity contest. You mentioned, Dave, people not watching football, but it was the captains and coaches of national teams who voted for these players. So it's almost like it's a, it's a bit of a popularity contest that got, got him in because uh, Andy Robertson, hello. Uh, yeah, I think you nailed it, though. I, I think there are probably enough Liverpool players uh, mentioned that night and coaches as well. I don't know. People love to hate Liverpool players because logic would tell you that Andy Robertson probably should have won that award, but nah. It's fine. Marcelo, by the way, he is so good to watch because anything could happen at any moment. I think if you were to look at it from an entertainment perspective, that, that's name true. a better left back, honestly. Still, I that's hope he true. keeps playing for a long time. But otherwise, yeah, I was trying to rack my brain. Who else? If it's not Robertson, Alexandro, you know, because Hernandez, I think, was injured for a while. Jordi Alba, was, uh, he was good in the Champions League, but had to be Robertson on paper. One of the interesting things with the voting that I, I read this morning is that Cristiano Ronaldo has never voted for <laughs> Lionel Messi in either the um, this best award, the FIFA award, or the Ballon d'Or. Like, never put him in the top three in what, the last 10 years or whatever. Did you notice as well that Messi has only just started voting for Ronaldo? I reckon someone has uh, said to him, listen, you can are. actually win a bit of um, you know, respect here because he's not going to vote for you 
you vote for him and you show yourself because you look at it, oh, he's selfless, messy. But he's only done it the last two years, so he went like 15 years without doing it as well. So I mean, it's a kind of pettiness that I thoroughly endorse <laughs> and enjoy. <laughs> well, he voted for Sadio Mane this year, did Messi, and uh, talk about the popularity contest. Ronaldo voted for his new teammate, Matisse Delict. So I don't know if he's trying to I don't know, cosy up team in the dressing room. And Mark Milligan voted for Frankie De Jong, the Australian captain. So um, interesting thing stuff there. Go on the Optusport social account. We've look, we've got a, 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 a team 11 for you of the best of the rest of the, of the candidates who made the shortlist but didn't quite get the Guernsey. Um, but speaking of which, Rich, my best player in the world ward votes have would have gone to, if you were a national team captain, which you, you could be in another life. Oh, thank you. Uh Messi, I would vote for definitely. I just, he's just, he's very good, you know. And what did he finish last year in the Ballon d'Or? Was it fourth or fifth yeah. or something? I mean, that was just so outrageous. I did enjoy the memes of everything he did well after that. You know, people, and this is the fifth best player in the world. I just don't think, I don't think you can mount a strong enough argument for anybody else to categorically be better. And he, on occasions, he still won it for Barcelona. He went missing, obviously, at Anfield when they lost the second leg of the Champions League semi, but look at what he did in the first leg. And now you look as well at the impact that Barcelona, that he has on Barcelona when he's not there. It's maybe, I think people are searching for a reason not to give it to him because it's been so predictable over 10, 12, 14 years. But the reality is he's still the best. Yeah, I agree. I know you're probably looking at me and you want me to come up with a a controversial counterpoint that, that says that I don't know, Wayne Bridge should be, <laughs> you know, I don't know why I picked him. Uh, but yeah, it's got to be messy. He scored like 50-odd goals last season. And you're right, people, I think, if you're thinking about last season, um, then if you follow the Premier League, and I suppose if you're a Liverpool fan, you think about that performance at Anfield when they were blown away, and you think about Andy Robertson giving him a, a clip round the year, um, he still had like a couple of decent chances to to change that game with a couple of shots that didn't miss by very much and on other days might have gone in. Um, I rewatched that game again recently and it was a bit closer for a long period mm. than, than the scoreline suggests um, until that, that third goal went in and completely mm. broke them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's got to be Messi, really. Well, I guess the only counter-argument, I suppose, is Virgil van Dijk. But speaking of Messi, he obviously limped off against Villarreal in the first half in Wednesday morning's game, where they did win at home and took a bit of pr- pressure off Ernesto Valverde. But that brings us to the question that everyone's kind of asking at the moment, which is Barcelona without Messi are... Cooked. Well, they're in a period of transition. They're bringing some young guys through, which is great. They've got a couple of new signings. Their front three, I don't think it's been the same... Two games in a row all season. Mm-hmm. So even without Messi there, that, that Suarez has been away for a bit as well. Griezmann's trying to find himself in there. You see guys like Perez, uh, Ansu Fati's involved as well, which is great. So they're in that p- period where they're bringing guys through. But in the here and now, if Messi's not there, they are massively susceptible. The, the biggest advantage they've got is that no other team are any good, seemingly yeah, in and, Spain. Yeah, in the Liga. And, and in fact, I was listening to some Spanish, uh, Spanish journalists this morning on a podcast saying that the biggest thing helping Valverde is that Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid are in such a state of uh, uncertainty themselves at the moment as well. Otherwise, he could be under a lot more pressure. Um, worst defence in La Liga, in amongst their worst start in 25 years. They did win this morning with uh, that 2-1 win. But away from home, nothing. Nothing. So, of course, they did win at home this morning. It is interesting times there, though, Dave. It is. And as Rich says, when if you were to take Messi out of any team, it would be a huge 
gap to fill, and it's um, and they are going to have to manage that transition. He's not getting getting any younger, but if you take the, the greatest player ever to have played the game, arguably out of any team, then Mark it's going to have an impact. Yeah, well, I was thinking about this podcast. Like Michael Bridges is on holiday, mm. <laughs> and you know. Look, look what we've got now. <laughs> uh, we, it is a lot grammatically stronger, though. I've noticed that already without Bridgie here. Okay. For an Englishman, he's got absolutely no grasp on the English language. The amazing thing about uh, speaking about them without Bas- without Messi is, is against Granada, a team that had just come up. They literally, I think it was created two chances. So it, notwithstanding Messi's absence, a team with that quality uh, should be creating more, should be not suffering against a team like Granada. And uh, I think the, the Spanish press are frothing over the prospect of following that narrative as it goes forward. Um Oh, I've thrown this one in. Chelsea Flans cap- clapping their side off after a 2-1 loss to Liverpool is... It's fair enough, isn't it? I think... is that That's not one word, is it? Fair enough, in it. Fair but, enough. Um, yeah, they played pretty well. They were... They can, I think, consider themselves a bit unlucky not to have got more out of that game. Um, you know, if the... If the offside decision hadn't been given, you know, if we still lived in a pre historic pre-VAR environment. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Then, you know, maybe oh, that wouldn't have been given. That sounds that sounds good though, doesn't it? Yeah, it <laughs> really <world>. does, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, you know, Chelsea fans aren't often um, associated with um, open-minded <laughs> um you know, sense of perspective about events, but yeah, clap your team off. Why not? Sign of the times, I guess, where you're taking 2-1 and going, we like the performance and uh, Liverpool are just too good and can conjure a win in any way, shape or form, even under day, if it's two set pieces. I do wonder how long this positivity about... The, the, that, the that's more the Frank, point, yeah. The that's more Frank Lampard era and, you know, it's all sunshine and roses and, you know, he's bringing through these, these young guys and the fans are on side with it, but, you know... If it gets to Christmas and they're still, you know, 13th, 14th and go out of a couple of cups, then it'll be interesting to see how long the um, the fans stay on side. Yeah, absolutely fascinated by that. And for Liverpool, which was a 15 games in a row, they're four games away now from the top flight record of 19. Sheffield United away, Leicester at home, Manchester United away and Tottenham at home. Can they do it at the moment? I mean, who would back against them? Because they're looking absolutely uh, flawless in terms of their winning mentality. Um my favourite player outside the so-called big six is, and when I say my, I'm putting my words in your <laughs> mouth, of course, because you're finishing this sentence. I was waiting for you to finish that. <laughs> yeah. uh, Chris Wood at Burnley. Fair enough, yeah. yeah. Why not? A former lead striker as well, so obviously I had to go for some sort of connection. But the reason I bring up Chris Wood is I actually dreamt about him last night. Sorry, is that weird? Um, he said what? <laughs> no, I had a dream. It was weird, actually, that uh, Burnley and Leeds were playing. Uh, I can only imagine in the Championship or League League One. 
and uh, he scored two against Leeds in the first half, and then he went and played for us again in the second and scored for us um, and got a great reception from the home fans. But uh, no, it got me thinking about him this morning. And Burnley have had this succession of kind of, you know, old school English style uh, strikers, you know, your Ashley Barnes of the world, you know, your Sam Vokes, etc. Um, but Chris Wood popping up on the weekend with goals, and he's a Kiwi as well. And in an era where we're struggling to yeah. have uh, Australian totally. representation, I think we kind of undersell um, how good Chris Wood has been. He's been to a few clubs now, but his goal-scoring record, it's great. He's just old school. Yeah, that's Can a good Australia shout. claim Chris Wood in the same way they do other sort of uh, New Zealand things, like yeah. Lamingtons? And, uh, Is Russell Crowe uh, worth <laughs> claiming at the moment? I can never really keep up with it. Mm. Leeds fan? No, yeah, true, but not while uh, not while his rugby league team's still in the semi-finals. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, I think we should claim Wood definitely. If we can get him uh, involved for the Socceroos, we'd probably take that as well. That is very true. So the reason for this question, guys, was of course James Madison, which was uh, you know that match-winning performance against Tottenham, where now he's the flavour of the month. Actually, oh, so you were trying to put answers into our mouths there, Dave. You were trying to get us to say Madison. Uh, no, just finding a reason to bring up topics. And did you did you dream about Madison? <laughs> if I was a Spurs fan, I'd be having nightmares about Madison. But no, no, I have, my mind hasn't gone down that line. Did you have a, a, a different answer, Dave? I, I knew you wanted me to go. I, know, I saw the Madison trap being set. <laughs> um, but I'd written down Todd uh, Cantwell. I enjoyed him at Norwich, especially that game against Manchester City a couple of weeks ago. And um, I drew a cartoon about him and I, I likened his hair. I think I said that, He's got hair so luscious that even the Atalanta badge is jealous of it. Like wow. these beautiful flowing locks. Voluminous hair. Voluminous hair. Um, I mean, he's shit at football. But no, he's, <laughs> <laughs> no he's, he's great. But it's funny you mention that, though, because um, last year in the championship, I don't think many Norwich fans were completely sold by him. Mm. I think they wanted him to be good, and they could see he's a young player really trying, but I think he was a... You know, inconsistent, a bit like Bambi sometimes, sort of trying to find his feet in the championship, but he comes into the Premier League and instantly looks like someone that can actually make an impact. It's fascinating how how that can happen. Absolutely. He said what? Interested in this one. Look, I don't like to talk about VAR a hell of a lot because we've gone through this process for probably, what is it, three years now in Australia, through the A-League, two to three years, but... It's really interesting watching what's going on in England to the point that I saw one high-profile pundit, I can't remember what show it was on, actually asked, do we think it's going to last? It is going to last. You just have to go through these growing pains. But the quote that jumped out for me was, uh, we have to get on with it. It is a sad thing for the celebration and the moment, but if we are looking for correct decisions, that is where we are at. It changes the atmosphere in the crowd. It changes on the pitch. We are slightly deflated and they get a boost. This is from Frank Lampard, who was talking about the disallowed goal for them against Liverpool. We deserve to be level at that point. It's really, really interesting watching these growing pains going on in England because I think Kevin Musket on scores on Sunday might have articulated it really perfectly, which is that are we debating, Dave, the notion of VAR, like the actual reason for it, or the decision? We can't be discussing the decision because black and white, they're correct. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's both in a way. Um, I mean, when I was thinking about this earlier and the, the, what I wrote down is we've ruined football, <laughs> which might be a bit dramatic, but um, I think that the wording of the rule um, that you have now uh, where if there's any part of your body that's offside that can score a goal, then you're offside. I th- that's not the exact wording, obviously, because I've <laughs> got it all, you know, arse around. 
Um, but uh, <laughs> so I personally, I preferred it when if you're level, you're onside, and that was the the wording, and that the interpretation of that was down to someone with a flag who makes a, a judgment on that, and I think. This, that might seem like a regressive attitude to, to people who are online with, with VAR. And yeah, like you're on or you're off. It's, it's, it's pretty clear. But um, I think this fascination with being completely correct, I think we, we've lost something. And I can't see that we're, we're going, going back. VAR is never going to be taken away again, I don't think. So it's here to stay. And that will make a change in the way that teams celebrate goals. And because you saw an effect at the weekend that once uh, Chelsea had had a goal disallowed, once Tottenham had had a goal disallowed, their body language changed and they almost immediately conceded a goal at the at the other end. Um, with regard to changing things in, in the stands, whether whether you allow yourself to jump over four rows of seats because <laughs> your, your team have scored, yeah, maybe. But the flip side to that is there's no sweeter moment as an opposition fan than when you see a team score and their supporters are going mad. And then you see like the, the flag go up and you think, oh, hello. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. need to sit down, lads. Yeah, which, um, which has happened a lot in cricket. That's the one now where, you know, is it out? Can you celebrate the wicket? Mm. Can you not? I mean, it can might we, be... A, we can't talk about cricket. Uh, no, we, we've been <laughs> wanting to bring can, it up, yeah. actually. Um, although you didn't, you didn't lose anything this summer, did you? You just drew everything. So you can claim one, not the other. Anyway, the, the interesting thing, though, for me when it comes to this is that like surely life the best parts of life are, exist in the gray areas you know no one wants to know right or wrong what's in or out you know left or right it, you need the gray areas to really enjoy football I was looking back through some old vision the other day of when Viduka scored four against Liverpool I watch it probably every second day the fourth goal was offside and blatantly offside Dukes was miles off. And it's a bit like, again, going back to cricket. Remember when Shane Warne got 99? Mm. It was his highest test score. He got caught in the outfield against the Kiwis. And years later, they studied the vision. They saw that Daniel Vittori, who was bowling, bowled a no ball. Mm. And it's added to the mythical nature of the story. But if on that occasion they were able to just prove that, oh, it's a no ball. Yeah, okay, he might have got his 100. But it doesn't have this mythical story about it. Everything's just so clinical. It's right or wrong. It's in or out. Is that the sort of world we want to live in when it comes to the emotion of football? Well, you're right. And I think that most fans enjoy a sense of injustice. I know I do. I look back at moments in history where Swindon have been robbed by a terrible decision. One of the first, like, my, one of my first World Cup experiences was watching England uh, concede a goal for a handball from Maradona and just even when I was like eight or nine whatever however old I was then just thinking well this everyone has to stop like the world has to stop we can't continue it's <laughs> but you know to, to take that away now that's one of the greatest moments in objectively and I'm sure to two Australians here you probably enjoyed it more than I did but that was an amazing moment of football history and it had the political context and without that handball being allowed, you wouldn't have got the goal that came like five minutes later where he dribbled mm. through the whole team. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this has always been my argument against VAR. So can I pose it to you this way? So I'm not against VAR or the idea of it because taking a different stance was slightly similar story. It's the Thierry Henry qualifier for the 2010 World Cup against hand, the Republic of Ireland. Hand of Frog. The Hand of Frog, which for me... Uh, like if you can bring in a technology where the stakes are so high 
to stop that sense of injustice, I, I'm I'm all for it. But it's it's a little bit like we saw in the Women's World Cup where it's like you, you've got phases of VAR which are about the threshold, should we get involved and all that, but then there's black and white. Is the goalkeeper on the line or not on the line? And it went too far. And I think we're at that point with the on and off side where someone's going to have to have the, the guts to make the call. We don't care about that fingernail that was half a fingernail in front. Play on. Yeah, Offside shouldn't be the issue. It should be pretty clear. And again, you mentioned it. Kevin Musket and John Aloisi both this week said, "Oh no, it's offside. We're we're happy with it." So should that should it be as should it be as it is? Like, are we looking for that? Do we want goals taken away for that little finger now? Because the guy on the VAR button in the current rules, he can't sit there and go, "Oh, it's so close. The goal's worth it. It's it's a fingernail offside." Yeah, he has almost, to call it, it offside. It almost needs to be. Um, this is very quickly turning into a cricket podcast, which was the plan all along because Dave's in. <laughs> but again, using a cricket uh, analogy. When they have when like half the ball is hitting the stumps, um, they go with the umpire's call. Mm. So maybe it might be the sort of scenario where they go unless the whole body is offside. If that linesman hasn't flagged it, it's play on. It goes with his call rather than oh we're just going to get the millimeter, going to get the the ruler out and, and decide because. I completely back the guys at Stockley Park that had the technology the other day, by the way, because if there's any league in the world that's got it sorted, it is absolutely the Premier League. But anyone watching at home, me included, I sat there and went, well, that's not that's not offside. It, it, it looks, at, at worst, absolutely level. So it should maybe be, you know, the technology should kind of have a rule where it's like, okay, well, he might be slightly offside, but the linesman didn't call it, so it's play on. This is the, the issue as well, the argument I've read this week about the frame rate of... The action being filmed is um, so that the game that's being played moves quicker than the technology that records it. So you can't accurately when when the, ball's when the played. ball is played. Mm. Um, and like, how do you decide when the ball is played? Is it when he when the uh, attacking player touches the ball? Is it when it leaves his foot? Is it when he like draws his leg back to pass? Um, so there's still ambiguities, even though it seems like the absolute correct decision because someone's drawn a line and you can see it. Um, it's still not entirely clear. The te- until the technology catches up, then I think we're always going to have I this think argument. the only possible way of fixing it is to get rid of the offside rule. Free for all. Wouldn't that be good? Or, or use the A-League's line, which looked like it was drawn by Mr. Squiggle, which was which <laughs> with all the different contours, and then you got a really clear outcome out of that. Or follow the A-League's line and just... Turn it off now and now and again, and mm, that's you know, right. those, those oh, key moments just <laughs> kick the cable out of the uh, out the wall. Dave, I want to know how in your mind we st- we talked about this at the start, but I'd like to get a bit of a glimpse into your mind how VAR somehow becomes a theme that relates with Bernardo Silva and Benjamin Mendy. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm referring to Dave's Guardian cartoon this week. Um, check it out online, and and I'd love to know where your mind looks at that VAR and goes, right, I'm getting into this through a potentially controversial tweet. Yes, so it's about where's the line, which is what we were talking about earlier. And so when I'm drawing my cartoons, I, I keep notes all, all over the uh, across the course of the weekend, and stories come up, and... I had decided this week that I was going to write about VAR because of the, the two big incidents in those games. And then just as I sat down at my desk on, on Monday, I saw the, the tweets from Bernardo Silva and then his defense of them saying like, you know, oh, you can't even joke around with a, a friend these days, sort of that defense. Um, and then before I knew it, I, I dedicated sort of three panels of an eight panel cartoon to, to that. Um, 
But if we are we are we going to chat about the the silver stuff, the silver and and Mendy stuff? Because I'm kind of curious about um, whether that will have an impact in the Manchester City dressing room. Because Raheem Sterling, I'm sure, has seen the tweets and the conversations, um, and Pep Guardiola this morning has sort of come out and defended Silva, saying like he's he's not racist, and I'm not saying that that he is. I'm just saying that's a spectacular misjudgment to, to to tweet something like that. I think the fact that it's on Twitter, I'm not in any way making any excuse for Bernardo mm. Silva, but, you know, you think of all the, the conversations that happen between mates behind closed doors that aren't public and it might be casual racism, but it's accepted because it's just like two guys giving each other stick. Why does Twitter need to come into that? You know, why does every thought now, mm. every emotion have to exist in a public forum? That's what social media is created. And again, I'm not sticking up for Bernardo Silva, but the thought that, okay, I'm going to have a dig at my mate Mendy here. The only way I can do it is by airing a public tweet yep. as opposed to like sending him a text message and saying, is this you? Which again would be bad. <laughs> yep. You know, it's, it, 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 I don't I, know. I thought, I thought the same. Like, you don't need to tweet. This is what a friend of mine always says. Often after I have tweeted something stupid, <laughs> Dave, you don't need to tweet. Like, what possible benefit is is there for you in in doing this? And I, I wonder that about about Bernardo Silva. Uh, I was actually surprised that he runs his own social media accounts. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. Perhaps one of you know the, one of his flunkies have have sent it for him and he's approved it. I don't know, but um, it was spectacularly misjudged mm. at best. Oh, here's a good yarn. Change of pace a little bit to end off because there's a we talk about Manchester City and all the, the big title race in England, but around Europe there's some very interesting title races going on at the moment. And we've got Athletic Club top of La Liga at the moment, La Fama Licao, and I've got no idea how my pronunciation goes with that top of Portugal. It's slightly less romantic, RB Leipzig are going really, really great guns in Germany. Dave really good to get a bit of a change up here and it's 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 something that's, it's a breath of fresh air. Yeah, it's very nice, isn't it? And uh, in uh, Ligue 1, in France, you have plucky underdogs PSG <laughs> are, uh, at the top of the table. They're, they're, doing, they're doing pretty well. Even in the, in the Premier League, obviously, Liverpool and Manchester City, the streets ahead of everyone else. And, uh, but Bournemouth are up to third at the weekend. And as a club who always do regularly see Dan playing Swindon. And, okay, part of me still looks at them and think, Come on, what are you doing up there? Have some dignity. Get back down here. Get down amongst the spiders in the dirt. <laughs> um, and, you know, West Ham are doing well as well. You look at West Ham's fixtures over the next few weeks. Uh, they've got a, actually, they're playing Bournemouth this weekend. But then beyond that, you think, oh, they could go maybe, this is the most stupid thing anyone has ever said uh, in recorded history. They could go until Christmas unbeaten because they haven't really got a really tricky fixture until they play Liverpool. Yeah, I, I think that's the issue, though. It's that you just know they won't go unbeaten. <laughs> yeah, you know, these right. clubs will just continue to, to eat themselves almost. They're, they're their own worst enemy, and it's that lack of consistency amongst them that means that, apart from the obvious quality that Liverpool and Manchester City have, 
they just go streets ahead because they are very consistent. And if City happened to lose one week, they just smack someone else eight nil. I think next. I think that's why I love the athletic story so much is because with all the money and riches of those big clubs in Spain, spent this is a, a, a club from up in the Basque region which represents as one point four percent of the population, twenty percent of the football population of Spain, and they're top of the league. They didn't make any signings this off season. All they did was promote players from their B team, and they ostensibly take from the region only. So well, how long it lasts, you don't know. But you got to celebrate it while it's happening. Well, they had to, didn't they? Have to go through some hoops to sign Amrik Laporte yeah. because he's obviously French. But they proved that oh no, he was from the Basque region or he had ancestry or something like that. And once upon a time, they wanted to sign Tommy Orr as well. And they that tried. Right? That's yeah. I mean, go back through your um your research. I can't remember the exact details, but I swear they wanted to sign him and they were trying to look for some loophole. But they don't often have those loopholes. You're right. They normally have players fully from the Basque region, but. You know, the cynic in me says that it's absolutely unlikely that it's going to last for too much longer because even Real Madrid, they're an absolute rabble and suddenly they're up the top, they're Mm. level with them. Even if those clubs get it wrong, they'll still end up on top, unfortunately, such as the the disparity between the haves and have-nots in Spain. But I think in somewhere like Germany, uh, you can debate the merits of a club like RB Leipzig, but I think it's probably more likely there that a club will probably emerge and win it. Yeah, that's a conversation that could go a bit longer in Germany because uh, Leipzig are really impressing under uh, Nagelsmann. I got that right this time after <laughs> a bit of a slip the other day. Yeah, well, you're going to have to explain that one. Yeah, calling him Ralph Hausenhutl on air instead of Julian Nagelsmann. I mean, where the... Just long names come into mind and you get them wrong. Um, but uh, the, the the Portuguese one is really interesting because between Sporting uh, and and Benfica and Porto, I think something like only two league titles in 100 years have gone beyond outside those three. And this well, club... Vista or one, I think. Is that right? And and the thing about this... Uh, well, this uh, this La Famalica is um, there's a bit of money behind that too, so that's a really interesting story to keep watching as time goes on. Speaking of money in football, Dave, before before you go, Dave Dave Squires, I have to ask you about possibly your my favourite cartoon of yours certainly over the last few months was your in the wake of the Berry FC scenario in okay. England, your last panel where you had the Premier League lion up on the top of the pyramid with flames all around the pyramid. Normally I get to the end of your cartoons and I have a little chortle to myself laughing about uh, how funny football is. That's one of the few occasions I've read something on football and gone, whoa, that's that's big. I wonder yourself, obviously you write these things usually with that comedic edge to it. I wonder how you felt about saying something that was uh, a little bit more political. Um, well, thank you for saying that. Um, I was so angry about Barry's demise. And at the time, it looked, when I wrote that, it looked like Bolton were going to go as well. Um, and when I got to that final panel, I always try to, like my premise for every cartoon is to try and have at least a couple of lols in there, you know. <laughs> and even within that cartoon, I tried to put a little bit of levity here and there. Um, but by the time I got to the, the end of drawing that cartoon, I really worked myself up into a... <laughs> an angry frenzy and I actually felt that the wording of that last panel was a little bit unfocused and you know typically that was the one that people picked up on and um it you know people were sharing it and I was kind of wincing thinking I don't think I quite got that right what part did you not like um it was just I felt it was a little bit scattergun you know I was angry about various things so it, it was also um I think the week where Boris Johnson had done something appalling and you know the You're gonna have to be more specific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, well, I don't know, that's like a timeless piece, isn't it? Yeah. Um 
So there were other things related to the situation at Bury. It's important to the club within the community, the way it had been mismanaged, like the broader agenda of austerity in, in England and Britain. And um, and yeah, that, that last co- cartoon, I think I'd, I must have um, had two coffees in the way that I have this morning. And that's why I said about five minutes ago that West Ham are going to go to a Christmas unbeaten. <laughs> Did you put something in my coffee? What the hell? <laughs> Very good. But no, it was a it was a powerful poignant moment. It's amazing what you can actually convey in, in that an amazing medium that you have there. Yeah, big time. Uh, do you have much? Many people sort of. I mean, no doubt you get a lot of um, engagement and a lot of people sort of retweet and and like your stuff. Do you get many people sort of turn around and say, "Hey, keep keep it keep it funny, funny uh, man." Yeah, sometimes you always every week. The, the one or two people who, who take exception, at least, I mean, sometimes more. Um, and I accept, for the most part, that that's, that's part of it. If I'm going to accept people saying nice things about the cartoons, then I've got to accept the criticism. Um, and I know some, some weeks I'm deliberately setting out to like antagonise people and poke them with a stick. Oh, that's, I mean, D- Dave Wiener's in charge of our social accounts at Sport. That's all we do. All we do is try <laughs> to antagonise people because more than likely they'll take the bait. Uh, absolutely, every time. Don't give away um, the secrets. <laughs> and, you know, the only time that it hurts is when there's a, a grain of, of truth or if there's uh, a particular part of a cartoon or, or your style of writing or drawing that you feel a little bit vulnerable, vulnerable about anyway. Uh, and if someone picks up on that and pro- pro- pokes that sort of sensitive spot, then you like you dwell on it for a week. Like this week, um, when I was drawing the cartoon, I found it hard because someone had said a comment last week about my work, and that just stuck in my head. And that every minute of when I was drawing the cartoon this week, I was just thinking, "Oh, he's right, swine, he's bloody right." So, but at the same time, I accept that for my job is taking the piss out of other people, and. So I try not to be mean about other people unless I feel they really deserves it, deserve it. Like the, the people who are morally corrupt, then I'll go for them every day. Mm. Um, but I try not to have a go at like individual footballers for making a really a bad mistake because I know that I'm on uh, a weak footing morally. Because um, even though I'm I'm not a bad footballer, you know I don't play for I don't know Reading. <laughs> I thought that's how we got you on here, football <laughs> Seaver. But y- it's funny you say that because you having a, you know, trying to have a thick skin or needing to have one. Imagine being a footballer, the amount yep. of stuff they cop from whether it's fans or the press or teammates or whatever else. It- it's an interesting insight. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that's what I try to keep in mind. And um, I know that the young guys are doing their best and um, don't need some smart ass like me you know, taking the, the mickey out of their ability. So that's kind of one of my golden rules is to not have a go at someone for, for not being being good at football. With managers, sometimes I can... Uh, there are cartoons that I regret that I've done where I've maybe taken the mickey out of someone for, for being sacked. Not someone necessarily like Jose Mourinho, who I think has got a thick enough skin and um, and can, and can, can take that uh, in the unlikely event that he would see it. I mean, the way he was behaving... Last season at Manchester United was pretty, pretty appalling, and the way that he behaved at Chelsea in his uh, his last few months there, um, I mean, to not take the Mickey out of that would have been a dereliction of duty for a cartoonist, you know. But I think I look back sometimes at say, like if I t- made a joke about Mark Hughes being sacked, I think, yeah, that's probably 
out of line and I try not to, to do that again. Mm-hmm. If you're listening, Mark Hughes, I'm sorry. Sorry, Sparky. He um he was listening to the Gagan pod for the first few, but I think he's <laughs> tuned out since. Hey, cartoon, cartoonists have feelings too. That's interesting. But have you ever run into anyone that you've um had a shot at or that you've really taken taken the mick out of? I'll make sure I'm not in the Optus studio when um, Kevin Muskus. <laughs> <laughs> like, I I need to 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 check that he's he's not here, is he? The, the only thing he will kill you with is kindness. Yeah. It's one of the most disarming things about Kev. He's such a good bloke, <laughs> which is uh, goes against his sideline demeanour. That's what I mean. I don't want my perception of him to be ruined. No, exactly. <laughs> Great stuff. Thanks for that insight, Dave, and thanks for your thoughts this week. We turn our attention quickly to look at the what's coming up for you on Sport this weekend, and of course, it's a packed calendar as ever. Sheffield United kicked the weekend off hosting Liverpool at 9.30 on Saturday night. Got that time slot for a couple more weeks before Daylight Savings kicks in. Tottenham against Southampton, the Pochettino uh, derby, I suppose, at midnight kicks off a big suite of games. Wolves against Watford, you mentioned earlier, Dave, almost a six-pointer. Villa against Burnley. Bournemouth against West Ham, who are going to go undefeated for the next three years now, according to David Squires. Chelsea Houghton hosting Brighton and Hove Albion. Crystal Palace against Norwich City before the night rounds out with Everton. Are they going to be the next victims of Manchester City? Sunday night, or sorry, Monday morning, is Leicester City hosting Newcastle United before the round climaxes with Manchester United against Arsenal on Tuesday at 5am, where you can watch football every single damn day on Sport if you want to next week. Rich, uh, what's your highlight? What are you looking forward to? Charlton Leeds. Uh, Lee Bowyer in charge uh, at the Valley. Um, great place to watch football, passionate fans, and possibly the next manager at Leeds United when Marcelo Bielsa leaves in the year 2049. <laughs> uh, yeah, just trying to think who Swindon are playing this weekend. I think they're away to Bradford City, actually. hope it's not Colchester. Could be in trouble. <sighs> Again. No, lightning never strikes three times. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, probably the, well, the game I mentioned earlier, actually, the uh, Bournemouth-West Ham game. They're both going well. Something's got to give there. Nil-nil. Stick on. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. Well, gents, thanks for your time today. Dave, great to see you here again, and we'll make sure you invite you next time when uh, Kevin Musket is here on Scores on Sunday to make life nice and comfortable for you. Have uh, Good to see you, and and all the best with your your upcoming cartoons and and panels. Cheers, Dave. Thanks, mate. Good stuff. Rich, I'll see you uh, outside the studio and in the office shortly. (laughs) See you, Dave. Good stuff. And everyone out there, as ever, until the next Jacob Pod, enjoy your football. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.